Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Jake Runestad. Jake is a composer and conductor based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Known mostly for his choral works, he's also found success in the genres of opera, orchestral, and wind ensemble music. He has written music for and worked with ensembles such as the Swedish Radio Symphony, the Dallas Symphony Orchestra and Chorus, the Taipei Philharmonic Choir, the Netherlands Radio Choir, and many more. In 2018, he was awarded the ACDA Raymond W. Brock Commission. An album dedicated to Jake's choral works was released in 2019 by Craig Hella Johnson, which went on to receive a Grammy nomination for Best Choral Performance. Jake Runestad, thank you for joining me today on Movable Dough. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, it is remarkable to me how much you've accomplished in such a short time. I mean, you're just in your, what, early to mid-30s, right? Uh Uh-huh. So I know in some circles you've been called sort of a choral rock star. (laughs) (laughs) And with good reason. You know, I I see people responding to you and your music much as I saw them respond to Eric Whitaker's music back in the early 2000s. When I was researching you online, uh, preparing for this interview, a question popped up on Google as a suggested question. And it caught my interest because I know that many people must have asked this question for it to come up as a suggestion. Any guesses what this question is? I'm not sure. <laughs> it said, is Jake Runestad married? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So uh, would you, no, would you like to answer married. that question? Okay. I'm not, I'm not married. <laughs> All right. That is a great way to start off this podcast. <laughs> are, we, are we taking applications? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Send your applications to Jake Runestad. at <laughs> All right. Something more serious. So I did find it interesting uh, that at such an interesting point in your, or an early point in your career, uh, you've already had someone use your work as a basis of a dissertation. You know, Dr. Christopher Hathaway at the University of North Texas wrote about the themes of social justice in the choral music of Jake Renestad. So let's talk about that idea for a little bit. First of all, what led you to the decision to focus much of your music on issues of social justice? From a young age, I was very much involved in service to others. So when I was growing up, my parents uh, would volunteer and have us volunteer in many different ways. If there was someone in our community who was having trouble, we would bring them dinner. Um, And so that was a really important part of my upbringing. And so when I began to create music, at first it was a lot of terrible pop songs in high school because I knew nothing about love and I was trying to write about that. Um, But then when when I kind of found my voice in the concert music world and writing for wind ensemble first and then choirs and orchestra and opera and things like that, I began to realize how beautiful the community is that's created surrounding large ensembles or generally any music making but especially with large ensembles and this idea that a topic can can really be uh, explored deeply in the context of of those rehearsals and a concert performance and audience listening and and so it's this it's this beautiful kind of circular connection with performers audience uh, conductor, uh, composer, and and so I think that I saw that this was an opportunity for these communities to engage with really meaningful topics and things that I'm passionate about. And and you know I I think that music is beautiful on its own, but I really think that music is most powerful when it's used for good. And in this case, I think it's important to raise these issues, to tell these stories, to help foster empathy. Uh, and compassion through uh, through music, um, and it's such a powerful way to do so. So that's kind of how my work began to focus on these different things. Is there any particular issue that is sort of at the forefront of your thinking? There are really so many. <laughs> um, I mean, I've I've covered everything from post traumatic stress disorder, from veterans who have returned from serving war abroad. 
Um, I've dealt with suicide and depression and mental illness. I've dealt with uh, immigration. I've dealt with, um, uh, you know, the, the love and, and equality and loss uh, and abuse and, and, and many different things. And I think that um, the, the sensitivity that we can bring to these kinds of stories is crucial. But it's, it's really those conversations that happen in the rehearsal process that I think are the most special and the most powerful because, you know, in, in ensembles, there's, there's such a safe space that's created most of the time, unless you have a tyrant conductor. But, but most of the time, it's such a beautiful, safe space to be vulnerable, to share thoughts, to explore ideas. And so I, that's what I'm really drawn to. So I know that the idea of social justice isn't a new thing uh, and using it in music is not a new thing that it's been around since music started. Uh, but your work seems to be part of a, an ever growing trend in choral music, especially um, with compositions written to ad address social is social justice issues. Um, even, you know, whole concerts revolving around this theme. So why do you think that we're seeing this surge now as opposed to say 20 years ago? I think some of it might have to do, especially in choral music, the way that it's it's becoming more and more a concert medium. You know, for so long, and and most of the traditions in in this country came out of a church context, you know, religious uh, service context, and so now that choral music is really. I think much more present in the concert music world and in you know other cases with gospel music with um, lots of other uh, styles um, it's it's able to take on many more shapes and forms than what what it was limited to in many religious contexts so I think that might be part of it um, I think that you know maybe there's a certain openness that's happening now or or uh, maybe that the art is a little bit more hard on sleeve as opposed to veiled with saying here's the topic or here's here's the musical work which is called sonata number three but for the composer maybe it was really about the the terribleness of of climate change um, but that wasn't necessarily exposed for you know the composer's intent um, but maybe now, for some reason, I don't know necessarily what it is. So that's a really good question. Um, there's there's some interest in the composer to expose a little bit more of what it is that she or or he is trying to say. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I wonder if it has something to do with uh, the you know, the advent of social media and the fact that everybody is so much more connected and those issues are much more prevalent in our, in our space. It could be. I think another part of it too is, is we're moving away from this idea of an ivory tower godlike composer, mm -hmm. which has been exalted in Western classical music, coming, especially coming out of the European tradition for so many years, which is problematic in many, many ways. Um, and so that could be part of it too, that composers are no longer saying, I am, I am the way, the truth and the life. <laughs> and, uh, you don't question what I'm doing because I am always right. And I'm creating the most profound, important works of art. Um, but then not telling us about the process or, or, you know, pulling back the curtain and seeing the wizard of Oz for, for who he really is. So. I think that that might be part of it too, is there's maybe a certain vulnerability or a certain openness that's happening where we're letting people in to the process and saying, I'm just a person and I'm creating works of art that I hope are meaningful to you and let's engage in this process together. Yeah, that's great. I want to I wanna read just one quote uh, that I read in that dissertation. Uh, and this was from an interview that you gave with uh, Ryan Guth. Uh, you said, I believe it is my duty as a composer to give voice to the voiceless or to tell a story of someone whose story isn't known well in society. It's my opportunity to raise the question or to address a topic that isn't talked about or needs art in order to come into our social consciousness. And I, I think that sort of sums up what is happening in the world. We're trying to tell those stories that have been hidden so long. And now that we're so connected, 
those stories are easier to to get out there into the public. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's there's some good, and and at the same time, we have so many shared stories across mm -hmm. the world, you know, that maybe take on different shapes based on the immediate culture, but really are are shared and. For whatever reason, we forget that we are all linked as as humans yeah. across the globe, and that we're all dealing with similar things, just in different levels. And um, yeah, we're and and we're all in in huge trouble with the climate crisis. And and it's you know I think the coronavirus too has just shown how no one is immune. We're all on the same level. You know, we we, we have this social hierarchy that we've created, you know, that that is absolutely ridiculous um, <laughs> and and based on money and power. Uh, but it, it, what's what's fascinating about the coronavirus is it is completely leveled that right. No one is immune to this. And um, and it's terrible that we have the coronavirus, but I think it's also revealing and maybe um, important for some people to realize that, you know, hey, I am the same as everyone else in the world. Yeah. All right, let's change veins into something that doesn't make us think so much. Okay, <laughs> I read that you played saxophone in middle school and high school. Uh, is, is this when you begun your interest in composition? Yeah. Um, well, when I was really young, I, I created little piano pieces and would improvise uh, and, and mimic play by ear things that I heard on the radio. Um, and then, you know, a lot of terrible <clears throat> pop songs throughout high school. And then my senior year of high school, I wrote a piece for my wind ensemble. And so that was really the first time I notated music for other people to perform. Was that and the I, Viking Symphony? It was. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just fell in love with, with that, with that idea that, that other people could bring this to life by reading it off of a page. So that really set it all in motion. And, and technically, saxophone is my main instrument. I studied throughout, you know, throughout college as well. And went to college to be a high school band director uh, and then just um, kept writing and, and began to, to focus that way. So where did the interest in choral music come from? When I was a kid, we, we sang all the time around the house. My parents both had beautiful voices, um, have been in choirs for most of their lives. Uh, my uncle is a choir director. Um, when I was a kid, my parents would bring my sister and I along to choir rehearsals. Instead of getting a babysitter, we would just play off to the side. So I'm sure a lot of that seeped into my brain. Um, and then it was my sophomore year of college that I joined a, an SATB choir for the first time. And it was so thrilling to, to, feel, to feel that harmony and singing in harmony with others and breathing with others. And... Uh, so I just got really excited about it and then, and then started to explore writing choral music. That's awesome. Was there anyone in your path that sort of was key influential, like encouraged you in this composition path uh, that you, you sort of look back and say, this is, this is the person, this is the point? You know, there have been many, many people and I'm so grateful to all of them. I think that, you know, these, these mentors that come into our lives are unbelievably important um, and, uh, you know, I've had many, but, but one in particular is Libby Larson. Mm -hmm. And when I was, a, I think it was a junior in college, she wrote a piece for the orchestra and she came down to my school and she was in residence for a couple days. And the conductor knew I was a composer and, and he asked, you know, would you like to meet with her? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's just like so in awe of Libby. And so the band was rehearsing one of my pieces. So she came into that rehearsal and I met with her afterwards and, she asked me a bunch of questions, and then at the end, she said, Jake, I'd like for you to study with me. And so uh, I had some lessons up with her at her home in Minneapolis, and um, she really encouraged me to think about pursuing composition as a career path, to go to graduate school, to, to really work hard at it. So um, I think that that was a really important thing because I didn't really know that composing could be a career. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know anything about studying composition at the university level. I didn't know anything about the teachers. I didn't know anything about the schools. So Libby was really crucial to help guide me into that, that world. That's great. So do you have any, let's see if I can ask this question in the right way. Um, I was going to say, what is your first published piece? But I, I believe most of your work is self-published, right? 
That's right. Yeah. I, I do have one piece with Boozy and Hawks. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily that I didn't want to go that route anymore, but um, I had people that wanted to do my music and I just didn't have time to wait around for it to be published. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because that process takes so long. And, and so the technology was available. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll sell PDFs, licensed PDFs to people. And, um, and so I kept doing that. And, I'm, and I love it because it's, it's, it's quick and easy. Um, and it keeps me in touch with everybody who buys my music. So I feel like it's a, it's a personal connection that I can have. And if people have questions about the music, they can write, write to me and I'll be able to, you know, to answer questions and talk with them about things. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love the fact that I, I go to your website and everything is just right there, ready to be purchased right off your site. It's fantastic. All right. So if you go to YouTube and search for Jake Renestad, do you know what song will come up the most? Uh, no, actually, I don't. Well, let's talk Nyan Nyan for a second, shall we? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so this this is the piece my kids know you from. I said, oh, I'm interviewing Jake Renestad. They're like, oh, the guy that wrote Nyan Nyan. Okay, so I'm sure you had countless choirs do this piece. Uh, it's it's so accessible and it's so fun. Um, you know, it uses all sorts of vocal sounds, uh, but not actually saying any real words. So I, I want you to I want you to talk about writing this piece. <laughs> okay. Well, it's funny you bring this up because this this is the piece that kind of set my career in motion. And what's funny is that I never wanted this piece to see the light of day. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that I didn't, but uh, I never thought it would. So I wrote this piece in college. I had started a choir of my peers, and we'd rehearse once a week, and we were doing a lot of slow, beautiful music. And one of the singers came up to me, and she said, you know, this is great, but can we do something a little bit more exciting? And I was a poor college student, and I didn't have money to buy new music, so I thought I'd write something. And I was, you know, experimenting with barbershop and pop acapella and beatboxing at the time, so all those sounds were swirling around. And, and I thought, well, it'd be fun to create something that was total gibberish or nonsense. And so uh, I remember, I think one of the first things that I came up with, there's this, this middle kind of rhythmic repetitive part in the middle where I go, whoop! And it's that that pop with the finger in, in the mouth that I thought, gosh, it'd be cool to put that into a piece somehow. <laughs> and so I think that was the first thing I came up with. And then, uh, yeah, I just I remember going into a practice room and just making weird sounds and imagining, you know, if somebody was walking by the practice room, they'd think like a cat was dying in there. <laughs> like, all these weird sounds that I'm making. Um, but it led to, you know, this nyan, 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 this nasally thing. And, and um, it was just so much fun to put it all together. Anyway, fast forward. Um, I moved to Minneapolis after grad school. And I met with a, co- a conductor named Philip Brunel, who conducts Vocal Essence, uh, a really wonderful um, organization. And uh, met with him, um, gave him a stack of music with Nyan Nyan tucked in at the very bottom. And, uh, and I ended up singing in his choir for a couple of few years. And he came up to me at a rehearsal. He's like, Jake, you know, we're singing up at this, this um, National Chorus America conference here pretty soon. And we're going to perform this. And he went, <laughs> And I think my first words were, are you sure? <laughs> Uh, but sure enough, we performed it, and there were some really amazing conductors in the in the audience who who kind of loved the piece and began to take it and perform it with uh, all state groups. And um, Andre Thomas was one of those, and um, so that piece just kind of uh, went out into the world, and people began to be doing it. And uh, so it's it's kind of a an odd calling card because it's not necessarily like a lot of my other music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I am glad that it's in the world and that people are able to have fun with it. Yeah. Um, when I told my wife I was interviewing you and talking about the music I was going to talk about, she said, that's the same guy wrote Come to the Woods that wrote Nyan Nyan? Like, <laughs> <laughs> same piece. Same yeah. piece. <laughs> so I know that you have visited and talked with many choirs and ensembles over the years. Uh, you know, you and I met back in 2018 uh, when I was at the University of Washington. You came out there uh, for a couple of days. Uh, can you think of any clinic or residency that were particularly memorable to you? Gosh, there have been so many that uh, every single one has has so much power and, and meaning in it. I'll, I'll share one that wasn't even in person, but
but it was a, a video clinic. Mm-hmm. And it was with a sixth grade choir. And they were singing the unison version of my piece, Please Stay. And, and usually, you know, this is a piece that's about mental illness and suicide. And most of the time, this is a piece that's done by uh, university groups or, you know, more advanced high school groups. And, and to just talk with these sixth graders about this topic and to see that they had really had some meaningful conversation around it was so incredibly powerful to me. Um, just to, to know that they have this deep awareness of, of what it means to have a mental illness. Um, you know, that, that there are people in their community who are dealing with this. There are people that have considered suicide and um, how they can support each other and, and open up, uh, remove the stigma from conversations about this topic, but let it live in the world and, and not be suppressed. And um, it was so incredibly powerful to, to watch them sing and see how engaged they were and then just to talk about it. And, and at sixth grade, it was, it was really, really just profound. Well, speaking of sixth grade, right now I teach middle school choir, and I asked my students what they would ask a composer if they had a chance to sit down. Would you indulge one question from one of them? Yeah, absolutely. So Emerson asked, how do you create a song without accidentally copying other composers? Well, that is the eternal challenge. Uh, there was a friend of mine who just had posted a, um, a, a question on Facebook about the, the term arrangements and what what makes something an arrangement and who is an arranger and how does that differ from composition or you know what elements make it an arrangement versus just an adaptation or a transcription or whatever it might be and as i was thinking through my answer <laughs> i realized that really all a composer is is someone who's taking all the sounds that they've heard and taking the ones that they like and putting them together to create a piece of music so essentially, I am stealing from everything I've ever heard. You know, as, as a friend of mine likes to say, there are only 12 notes, <laughs> not counting microtones. But um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely awareness of, okay, I'm not, I can't rip this off exactly because, you know, that's illegal. <laughs> but um, of course, there are, there are things from lots of composers that we all borrow um, you know, we, we all like to honor those people that we love and, and kind of use use certain elements of that. So I think it's just an awareness of to, to not make it, you know, completely blatant or, or steal a melody or whatever it might be. Um, but but we all pay homage to those that, that we respect. Fantastic. Well, after this break, we will have a chance to talk about and listen to some of Jake's compositions. Welcome back. Today I am talking with Jake Runnestad. So let's begin today with Come to the Woods for SATB Choir and Piano with text by Scottish-American mountaineer and environmental philosopher John Muir. So can you talk to us about writing this piece and what it means? Sure. Come to the Woods was commissioned by Craig Heller Johnson and Consperari, uh, and it was really an important moment in my career, I think, because since I was, you know, since I really first discovered choral music, I was a huge fan of Consperari. And, and I dreamed, oh my gosh, it would be amazing if they just performed one of my pieces someday. And when I was in grad school, my teacher, Kevin Putz, um, had a piece commissioned uh, from Craig and Consperari, and they recorded it. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like, oh, it'd be amazing to work with them someday. And so, uh, one day, I was in touch with Craig, um, and I think I sent him some music and, you know, no performances. But one day I got a call from him, and he had commissioned me for a piece for his group in Cincinnati. And I wrote a piece called Why the Cage Bird Sings for that group. <laughs> and then, um, I don't remember when it was, a year, or maybe even less later, um, you know, he called me up again and asked me to write a piece for Consperari. So it was like, oh my gosh, the dream is coming true. <laughs> and then years later to have a whole album recorded by them, that's like beyond the dream come true. Um, but uh, the, the concert was human, it was kind of based on human relationships. And so I wanted to focus on human relationship with the natural world because that's something that I'm really interested in and passionate about. 
And and I've been a fan of John Muir for many, many, many years. And the beautiful way that he writes about uh, nature and the world around him. And so as I do for many of my pieces, I, I treat them like a research project. So for this one, I I went to the Sierra Club website and in their archives, you can actually read all of John Muir's journal writings hmm. and many, many of his other writings too. And so I went through pretty much all of those and then just collected parts that I loved and, and just had a huge document full of all of these quotes from John Muir. And then I just kept going through and seeing what are some of the, the common themes or what's a central image that I could use. And I came across this story when he was walking down the trail or sauntering, as he liked to call it, sauntering down the trail. And, and a windstorm was starting to, to, to come about. And so uh, instead of seeking shelter, he decided to climb a tree to experience it more fully. And God, what an amazing metaphor. And so I decided to use that as a central image. And so I found all these little excerpts of his writings that, that could fit with this, this journey of a piece. And so I, I finally put this text together and, uh, and created the piece. Um, also, his wife was a pianist. And so the piano plays a really prominent role in, in kind of exploring the, the sound world of the, the space around him, but probably also speaking to his, his intimate relationships with, and, and kind of complex relationships with the humans in his, lives, humans in his life, in addition to kind of the the deep relationship he has with, with the earth. Yeah. So I feel like the music is very evocative of the text, but I don't feel like it's necessarily text painting per se. How would, how would you describe your process of using the, the text as inspiration for the music? Text always comes first. And the text really dictates everything about the music for me. It, uh, it dictates the form. It dictates the emotional world the sound world, um, the rhythmic and melodic structures. I, I take all of that from the text. So, so I'm a very visual composer and I really try to paint a scene with everything that I do. Um, and so I think with that piece, my attempt was to have, you know, maybe several different scenes and figure out how do I, how do I bring that to life uh, through sound? All right, well, let's listen to a little bit of Come to the Woods performed by Georgia State University. Another glorious day
So I hope you'll indulge me just for one more minute about Come to the Woods. I wanted to share a memory with you that I have connected to this piece. So when I started my DMA program at the University of Washington, this was one of the first pieces we began learning in chamber singers. I had just come from 11 years of teaching high school choir. Um, I had not had time to be in any community choirs or anything like that. So my, my choral experience was basically with my high school choir. Uh, and so when we were rehearsing this piece at the University of Washington, I was suddenly struck by the, during the refrain, come to the woods, uh, combined with the gratitude of being in a choir that was able to sing a work like this. And it just brought tears to my eyes. And so I just wanted to thank you for being part of that memory. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. So let's go next to Let My Love Be Heard for SATB Acapella Choir. So the text for this one is a poem called A Prayer. Uh, I understand that you have a pretty special story regarding this piece in the choir at Cal State Long Beach. Would you mind sharing that story? Sure. Yeah. So um, this piece I originally wrote uh, for Choral Arts Northwest. Uh, Robert Bodie commissioned the piece. And, and I had this beautiful text by Alfred Noyes um, that I found in a, a collection of poetry that was given to me um, that belonged to my grandfather and when he passed away my grandmother gave me the collection and I found this poem inside and I knew that I would set it to music someday so when this commission came along I, I decided to use it for for that project and it was a beautiful premiere um, and then um, not too long after that in um, 2015 there was a student from Cal State Long Beach, Noemi Gonzalez, who was killed in the Paris attacks. And um, the, the choir, Cal State Long Beach, uh, sang a candlelight vigil for her. And the next day, they were supposed to begin rehearsing uh, music for their holiday winter concert. And they just weren't ready to move on. And so the conductor, John Talberg, um, emailed me and asked if, if I could uh, send him the score for that piece because they wanted to record it and offer it to their community as a message of hope and of grief and of love. And I think what's so profound about this, ultimately this recording they created is they, they rehearsed, they learned and rehearsed the piece in, in an hour and recorded it all in an hour. And so wow. what's, what's so amazing about it is the grief is so tangible in the recording. It's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, to this day, it's still one of the very, very favorite recordings of any of my pieces that I've ever heard. And before we listen to the recording, I just wanted to share the text as well, uh, because it is a beautiful text. Angels, where you soar up to God's own light, take my own lost bird on your hearts tonight. And as grief once more mounts to heaven and sings, let my love be heard whispering in your wings. All right, so let's take a moment and listen to Let My Love Be Heard, performed by the Cal State Choir.
All right, so let's next go to a piece for SATB Choir and Chamber Ensemble, The Secret of the Sea. In this instance, written for piano, percussion, string quintet. So I understand this was also commissioned by Craig Hella Johnson to be premiered at the Sydney Opera House, and that it was the venue's location near the water that inspired the theme of this work. So could you tell us more about the process of writing this and perhaps about some of the amazing texts that you wove together for this? Sure. So yeah, of course, if, if, if a composer knows that there's going to be a world premiere at the Sydney Opera House, you know, it's such an iconic space. And, and I think it just demands something about the sea. <laughs> it's right on the water. So I knew that that was my, my guiding light. And so I, I started to go through my own collections of texts that I have about the sea, and that led me in other directions and finding other poets. And, and eventually I settled on uh, these several texts that make up um, the, the, I guess you call it a composite text uh, for this piece. And again, it's kind of a journey, journey piece. Uh, we are, are kind of setting sail into life and, and run into the tumultuous storm and the sea and the waves crashing mm -hmm. and ultimately realize uh, and find, you know, really what is the purpose and meaning in life. And, and the text near the end is it, it reveals to us it's to live, to see the light that fills the world, which I think is so gorgeous and um and so I guess that that's my own commentary on what is what is really important in in life and and as we live and have so many questions and and I think that if we're we're led towards light seeing light in ourselves and seeing light in others that it ultimately will bring beauty to to everything that we do do you feel like you understand some of the secrets of the sea after writing this <laughs> I think that's part right that's part of my my hope I think right is as I'm creating that I'm I might learn something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I think it's a lifelong journey, and we'll know years from now. Ask me. Ask me twenty years from now. All right. All right. We'll do this again. Okay. All right. So here's a recording from the festival chorus and orchestra at the world premiere at the Sydney Opera House, conducted by Craig Hella Johnson.
All right. So let's end today by talking about a piece built on the poetry and visions of 12th century composer, poet, and philosopher Hildegard von Bingen, Spirited Light. So this piece explores a wide palette of textures and styles. So were you assigned this text as part of the commission, or was this something that you were found and were drew to? What, what was it about this text? I love Hildegard. I think she's one of the most amazing people and musicians that's ever lived. And, um, you know, she had these incredible visions that, that came to her. And so her texts are very, very colorful. And, and so this one is, is the same way. It's, it's so evocative. And so for me, in, in hopes of taking these texts and, and illuminating them through music, there's so much fodder for, for sound and creativity and possibility. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I'm, it takes me a really, really long time to decide on a text for a piece because mm-hmm. I take such great care and I'm really, really picky <laughs> to choose the right ones. But I love this text because it just sings right off the page. There's so much energy in it. And so it was fun to explore all of that through this piece uh, with, with kind of these energetic, building, rhythmic, winding sections and then a, a, a middle section that it's kind of slow and and builds and slowly builds and then we've got this fugato section as it just churns and churns and kind of goes crazy and builds with energy to the end they start plummeting 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 (laughs) right these descending whole tone scales (laughs) (laughs) that are not easy all right well let's take uh, some time we're going to listen to the cal state university long beach recording of uh spirited light
All right, so Jake, what are you working on now? Or at least what can you tell us that you're working on now? So I'm, I'm finishing up a piece right now uh, for the Atlanta Master Chorale. And it is a, a piece about the astronomer Mariah Mitchell, who lived in 19th century USA. She was an extraordinary individual who was a, a renowned um, astronomer, um, known for discovering a comet very early on, um, was a founding faculty member at Vassar College, and did a lot for women in science just because of the work she did and, and the way that she uh, educated young women at Vassar. She was just, uh, I'm just so in love with, with her and who she was. Um, you know, this is someone who's living at a time where there was a uh, kind of a, a quote-unquote scholarly paper that was written about women and how they shouldn't be in education because if the women use their brain too much, all of the blood would run from their uterus to their brain and they would become fertile and they wouldn't <laughs> be able to fill their position as women. I mean, it's absolutely outrageous. <laughs> that, that's incredible that yeah. anyone so, ever thought know, that. Yeah, so this is the kind of stuff that she had to fight against. And um, she was just remarkable and brilliant. And so this piece explores her life um, in that context, but also in 1869 when she went to Iowa with some of her students to observe a total solar eclipse and what that must have been like to see that, you know, in real life. Uh, it's just extraordinary. So I've been playing a lot with what happens at the moment of totality and what does that feel like what does that sound like? How do I evoke that through through music? Yeah. Are you, are you working on anything else right now, or is that your big project right now? Uh, yeah, I've got lots of stuff coming up. Um, the next piece is for Cantorai in Denver, and it's a, uh, a collaboration with Cantorai uh, and then also a choir in Guatemala. And um, the piece is for String Quartet and Marimba, which is the National Instrument of Guatemala and Choir. And it's a setting of poetry by Humberto Acabal, who is an extraordinary Guatemalan poet, just died two years ago now, I think it is, and has these uh, really, really powerful poems about human relationships with the earth, um, about colonization and uh, the strife related to that in Guatemala. And um, so uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to starting that. And then I've got another really big piece for choir and orchestra uh, that's coming up after that. So there's there's plenty of work to do. <laughs> Keeping you plenty busy. Yeah. So if my listeners want to learn more about you, where are you located online? Uh, you can go to my website, jakeronesta.com. Uh, I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and SoundCloud and all those good places. So um, definitely uh, connect that way. Um, and also I'm, I'm uh, well, I think that this will be... Uh, after the fact, but um, you can still check it out because they'll be up by now. But I have a new <laughs> uh, show that I'm starting. It's called Cooking with Creatives, and uh, it's where I bring in different creatives that I know, and they send me ingredients, and I don't know what the dish is, and they teach it to me live. Huh. And we talk about life and arts, and uh, so that'll be fun. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel too. Fantastic. Definitely have to check that out. Yeah. Well, Jake, it has been so much fun talking to you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on Movable Dough. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. My guest today was composer Jake Runnestad. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. To hear previous episodes, visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. If you'd like to continue this conversation or share your favorite music by Jake Runnestad, join us on our Facebook group, Movable Dough Listeners, and follow us on Instagram at Movable Dough Podcast. If you have a recommendation of a future guest, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.